Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Intimate Animation with myself, Ben Mitchell, and Laura Beth Cowley. How are you, Laura Beth? I'm good. How are you? Smashing. Very hot. Hot day here in Bristol Town. It's been a little while. We've, uh, since the last episode, been to Annecy and back again. And yes. uh, did you have a good time? Yeah, it was really good. Very hot. This was nothing on Annecy. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so if people uh, notice the general noise of outdoor carnage. Uh, it's because, yes, we had to do this with the windows open, because it would be unreasonable to do otherwise. Anywho, what was your favourite thing about Annecy, apart from the blazing heat? The lake. Um, getting <laughs> getting into the lake. Which I don't feel like should be the answer, but it's true. Oh, well, yes, certainly one of the geographical highlights. The lake, the storm, and then the films. But, yes, this was the, uh, the erotic-themed Annecy edition, apparently... Um, it wasn't, yeah. I have to say, I, I didn't... It's kind of confusing, though, because I, I still can't, because we got kind of bombarded with emails, like, every day leading up to the festival for about three weeks. I seemed to be getting an Annecy update emails, and I was getting a bit, like, overwhelmed by them all. Well, that's it's press accreditation. So yeah, but I... It, sort of part and parcel. But then. every time it seemed to be like, the theme of this year is erotica, but also women and Asia. And I was like, well, which one is it? Is Why can't it be a triumvirate? I guess it was. But a big of, erotic Asian women fest. A lot of people seem to think that the theme was women because of the poster. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure the poster is the way it is because it was the theme was erotica. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had absolutely nothing to do with Asia. I think she was Asian. Was she? I thought she was like Hawaiian. If I remember right, the quote from the artist, it was one. It was two artists, and it was a drawing of one of their wives. And I believe they explicitly stated that she is Chinese. Hmm. Anyway. But yes, a bit of a divisive poster, apparently. Hmm. Um, no one actually seemed to comment on it at the time, but there was an interesting article that went up uh, about a week or so after Annecy, uh wrapped up about how maybe it sort of... I don't know, oversimplified or overgeneralized the themes, but I don't know. My personal issues with the poster was that... I don't think it met any of the three strands particularly well. Well, I mean, in their heads it did. It wasn't um, remotely erotic, though. Like, just putting someone with an ice cream and tits on a poster doesn't necessarily mean it's erotic. No, that's very true. Because she was so... Her face was so, like, I could care less. Apparently when they took inspiration from this woman she was sitting in a garden eating a ham sandwich and so they replaced it with an ice cream now the ham, ham sandwich, sandwich would have been, been far more erotic <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a strand of erotic film screenings how many were there five six it was three we, we remember we talked no, through there was more than three wasn't there well there were the three in the erotic animation like category yeah and then there were other like quote-unquote erotic animated films sprinkled 
throughout the rest of the program. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there but were only three that were, like, sort of pointedly uh, concentrated. Oh, yeah, they on. just sort of repeated them a couple of times. That's why I'm getting confused. But, yeah, we talked a bit about, you know, those, some of the films included we've oh, seen. Yes, and yes, uh, yes, if yes. you go on to Swigley, Marco de Blois, who is the uh, curator over in Montreal of uh, all things animation, he put those together. I wasn't as enthusiastic about those screenings as I thought I, I would be, given what a fit it would obviously be with what we do here. I think it was difficult because all the really good ones we'd al- obviously already seen and most of which we've actually talked about on this podcast. Mm. And then there were some very old films that I understand why they were part of the screening from a historical, like, this is where erotica came from point of view, but they were kind of erotic in the, like, loosest sense of the word. Like that mm. very long-winded pixelation Asian one all in black and white. Pretty sure oh, it was yeah, literally yeah. just erotic because it had a couple of bum holes in it. Really good, I must have dozed off. No, you remember there was like I... the bit in the middle which was like showing an exhibition that they'd put on and it was just like butts and legs hanging from the ceiling and random stuff. This is dreadful, I don't and remember then, this at all. And then it I, sort I... of interspliced back into the weird house where just things were moving around for no reason. Oh, oh I need to go back and but watch it's, out it's the But it's difficult because it was like, you know... But I guess if the filmmaker thought it was erotic, then it's erotic, even if it's not erotic to us. I mean, I think the better erotic animations were the ones that we saw outside of um, the erotic screenings. A lot of graduates like. had very strong erotic films, and they tend that that's becoming a bit of a theme actually. That each year there seems to be graduate films that at least one decent erotic film comes out of them. Like last year was Ivan's Need was really good. Yeah. It does sort of fly in the face of that uh, notion that was being bandied about that millennials are, like, less sexually inclined. I think... They're all mad for it. <laughs> I think it's that they're less... They just don't talk about it as much because they're... And, or I think it was more that they don't have it as often, but then we're generally... They're too busy making cartoons about yeah, it. Yeah, they're generally not that fussed about talking about it. <laughs> or, you know, making little animations about it. Talking about the actual screenings or the actual films we did see, what yes. is your favourite erotic film you saw at Annecy? I mean, there are a couple that I've seen uh, already because I had been at Zagreb the week before. I'd been mm-hmm. able to catch a Jet couple setter. of them. But yes, I was there for uh, jury duty and I mainly was watching the feature films. I didn't actually get a chance to see that many of the shorts, but uh, the ones I did catch, one of which got like a special mention um, and then was playing at Annecy, and I think you saw it and quite enjoyed it. It's called Pussy. That's my favourite film. Do you remember the name of the director? Renata Gasaroska. Uh, that was a lovely film. Yeah, it was really nice. And it's also what you expect from a... I, I don't know. It's what I like from a student film. It's, she uses a very interesting way to animate or change from, you know... Rather than just walking from places, she sort of slips and slides like a slug mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's quite nice. Uh, it did kind of remind me, as I'm sure it reminded you, of Laurie Malapart Trevisay's film Le Clitoris, which uh, oh, yeah. also played at Annecy, and we also have talked about and had her on this very podcast. I got to meet um, her, finally. Yes, she was at Annecy, and Zagreb, but uh, really nice. she was uh, such a nice kid. She is working on a new film. Which is exciting. Which, uh, Are we allowed I, to talk about that? I, I will say let's not for now. We talked with her a bit about it at the party yeah. uh, and I had met with the producer uh, Julie from the NFB and it's going to be with the NFB which is a good fit. Where they, is she from? She's from Montreal. Oh okay that makes sense. But Laurie was great it was nice to meet her. She uh, notably showed up at the annual Annecy 
rounders game slash picnic. And of course, when you show up to these <laughs> picnics, you, you bring like you know a little offering of food. Oh, Laurie, who is quite petite, she is so small. She showed up with a cucumber that was about half like the size of her. Yeah, it was like the size <laughs> of her entire arm. <laughs> Which um, was a, I, I suspect. I'm pretty sure a she brought nothing else. But yes, more to come. We haven't heard the last from uh, Laurie Malapatra, obviously. Anywho, uh, this other film, Pussy, from Poland is i mean it's a different kind of film it's not a documentary-esque no but in terms film. of it's, style it's kind of similar it's kind of like i guess the notion of basically handle. the vagina or the the human anatomy element coming to life essentially and being a character and essentially what i mean it's kind of odd because you get halfway or over halfway through the film before the title appears yeah that is it's kind of jarring, but kind of funny. It's almost like time. it shows up as a kind of mini intermission. And then at, at that stage, this uh, young lady's hudenda has dismembered itself from the rest of her body and is running amok. I like the so bit it, when it falls on the cactus. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it seeks out its own fun. In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little pet. <laughs> like a little Chio pet. Like, yeah. No, it is animated brilliantly. It's Just so cute. Little, um, the way it kind of slinks about the place. It's quite nice as well because it shows, I guess, like female attitudes towards their own anatomy and their own pleasure in this very like light-hearted and very cute way. It's not in. It's not really remotely sensuous. Like it gets a bit like erotic towards the end. It's just. I mean, it is erotic because it's about masturbation. And in the end, it sort of gets a bit more erotic. But really, it's just kind of... It's just like, ah, oh, she's having a little play. That's nice. And her vagina's very cute. <laughs> I mean, what I've always enjoyed is, like, when humour is an element of these types of films. I think, like, before the last ten years or so, in a kind of pre-Signa Bauman world, not necessarily that she was the, the person to change at all, but she, going back, I think, is the first that I can think of who approached this kind of subject specifically with humor. Mm. You would get in like the 90s, throughout the 90s and early 90s, an awful lot of like films like by a, directors a, that would... Aggressive erotica. Aggressive or very, very kind of severe and somber. Stoic. Yeah. Do we need to talk more about this or shall we move on? Uh, well, let's move on, not in the sense that... Um, no, it doesn't warrant further film. conversation because maybe we will uh, we will bring this film up again down the line. Who knows? Oh yeah, definitely. I really, um, really did enjoy it. Another student film that was uh, short and sweet called uh, Sixty Nine Sec by Laura Nicholas from Belgium had a bit of a Phantom Limb esque quality to it. Some of the yeah. uh, you know, actually sort of specifically, I guess, a scene in Phantom Limb where the guy mm-hmm. not Phantom Limb, a completely different film. Um, Phantom Limb was Alex Griggs' film. Uh, Loop Ring Chop Drink. I'm thinking yeah. of Nicholas Maynard's film. Yeah, I see that. When it's the guy goes into like the a... laundry machine and he comes out and his, his body oh. parts are all messed up. Yeah, it also slightly reminds me of, um, what was it called? The one that they did. I think it was, no, was that Studio K? You know the one that was just graphic things that were just shapes that looked slightly Yeah, or, uh, Grant Orchard's film. Yeah. Uh, which was called... Yeah, just there. Yeah, yeah, that one. And this is actually it is quite similar, except yeah, just there was like actual like complete abstraction, and this is it's like you can similar. tell they're they're human figures, even yeah. though it's like everything sort of contained within a square. 
um, and it uses a lot of like easers and yeah. very slick vector based transitions and things like it's that it's really nice like it's just it's, a nice, it's great it's Lovely. a very swish piece of animation you could see it as like a, in a more enlightened territory being like a TV ad for something condoms you know? maybe or something yeah I really like that one I think After Effects is a like even though it's used quite a lot and a lot of people love it I think it's it doesn't get like the credit it should do because I think it it's amazing what you can do in that software and I think you can be really really inventive and it's always really nice when you see someone that has been quite inventive with it I don't know actually if that is After Effects but it does kind of look like it I would put money on it being After Effects personally but it's just um, really nice and it's yeah. very it would be like if we did another Loveless and Libido screening that would be one I'd definitely put in yeah just as a nice palette cleanser between longer films so yes that was uh, Laura Nicholas uh, so uh, one film that also won that I'm not sure if this is remotely erotic whatsoever, but we did talk about the director in the last episode, because her film Anal Juke, or Anal Juice, whichever, whichever's your pleasure, uh, was in Winamarco's screenings, but also her new film won one of the awards. It's called Summer's Puke is Winter's Delight, mm-hmm. which also got a special mention at Zagreb, and uh, I hadn't seen it until last week, but uh, the title had me curious. And the film itself actually delivered in pretty much exactly what I expected, especially if you've seen her other films, uh, Sawako Kabuki. Why do you think it wins things? Because I do like them, but I do always feel like there's... Because what did it win at Annecy? Did it win the Graduate Award? Yeah, at Annecy it won the Jury Award. um, As a... For just in general? Uh, just jury or? award, I guess. Oh, for graduation film. Right. That's it. So, yeah, it's from Tama Art University. And, uh, yes, as a representative of Tama Art University, she did them uh, proud with her acceptance speech, which, if I remember right, went along the lines of, in a completely monotone voice, not like a, a, a sousan of emotion, I feel amazing, I want to fuck you all. And then she just walked off the stage. Yeah, that was... <laughs> to a kind of, like... <laughs> Hubbub of, did I would just, say. Did you just say thank you? Did, or? Did, did she mean to say thank you all? And I think the general consensus was no. She's just, uh, she's just a trooper. Good for her. But uh, going back to your question, uh, Summers Puke versus a film like Master Blaster. I would say I preferred Master Blaster because, and I think I was saying this last episode about the other film, the anal film. I thought Master Blaster makes sort of more sense as far as, like, the playfulness of it. And these other two films of hers, I guess you could call them playful, but really they're more about, like, being really in your face. Well, the butt juice or whatever it's called one is more aggressive because it was about a breakup. Very aggressive. Yeah. yeah, so that one was kind of that. And shrill. And, yeah. yeah, and then this, this one, one I just of... really didn't get at all. I mean, I like all her films. They're, f- you know, they're fun to watch and they're a good, like, what the f*** kind of animation to sort of break up a screening. But they would, of all the films, they wouldn't have been a film I would have maybe give it, like, a mention, but I wouldn't have given it necessarily. I guess they saw something in it. Yeah. I think she is a rising star. She's you know? cool. Like I like, I do really like her stuff. It's just, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I guess I just don't know the parameters of what people are 
marking things against. Well, that's always going to be dependent on the people and the circumstances. And anywho, anyway, some uh, some interesting graduation films. So, looking uh, to the to the youth <laughs> for uh, erotic animation. There were tomorrow. lovely films in just general shorts, but I don't really think many of them were that erotic, except. Um, oh no! I guess also I like girls was in it. Cosmos was kind of erotic, but kind of weird. And uh, the the general competition. Yeah. Yeah. I liked Cosmos, but it kind of felt like it finished quite abruptly. So yeah, another film that was in competition and also actually won uh, one of the main prizes at Zagreb um, last month was by Kintis Lundgren, and it's called Manivald. Uh, Kintis Lundgren you might be familiar with. She made a film called Life with Herman H. Rot, which I'm sure if you've seen it, you'll be able to picture it. It's a cat and a rat who um, fall in love and live together. And the rat is kind of a... Uh, uh, he's not a he's not a complete, like, ne'er-do-well piece of shit. He's just kind of a bachelor and a bit of a slob. And um, the cat falls in love with him in a kind of active quasi-rebellion and they move in together and she makes uh, an effort to spruce him up a bit much like you have done with me over the years um, I've failed miserably <laughs> and that film's been absolutely everywhere certainly in England you may have seen it at the Manchester Animation Festival it's a very distinct aesthetic it's super traditional it's like um, actual pencil on paper animation that's then been you know scanned in and coloured in a really nice texture away. A very warm reds and pinks palette. And that's something that's been carried over into her new film, which is called Manivald. And uh, that's a film about... It's kind of interesting, this one. We talk a lot about like love and relationships and sex being the main theme of this podcast. This is definitely, of the three, this is about relationships hmm. more than... I mean, love in a sense, it's a kind of love triangle. It's not about lust and relationships. I guess so. It's about um, it's about a guy, a fox, who lives with his mother, who was also a fox. They end up having a kind of mutual crush on the guy who comes to, like, a handyman, I guess, and the mother. Who is a wolf, by the way. The guy is a wolf that comes into their, their home, and the mother, like, who is an artist, uh, takes to him and has him model for her. Uh, and Manivald, the young fox, uh, or younger fox who's living with his mother and probably is a bit too old to be living with his mother, maybe. There's a bit of a codependence there. And there's a bit of a battle for this new fella's affection. What then kind of ensues is quite interesting because the actual lust and sex element of the film is not a huge component of it throughout. And actually, when they deal with the sex in the film, it's not remotely explicit. Which is almost a surprise given how I think used to explicit sexual encounters and depictions you and I are probably used to now in the animated films that we see. But in some ways that's better. I always think a film is more drives home that kind of idea of either sex or relationships and stuff when they don't show it. It kind of goes back to like old cinema and stuff like where they weren't allowed to. What they do do is the kind of... Um the old school, like, that sort of filmic cliché of when amore is occurring and you'll see, like, a montage of symbolic events, like, very thinly veiled metaphors. And there's a nice little, like, moment in the film that's kind of like that. And then it becomes quite psychedelic 
it sort of goes that sort of extra step further. So yeah, it's an interesting film. I do think I personally think this is a a progression from uh, Hermitage Rot. I think that that film was was a perfectly good film, but this one I thought there was a bit more kind of meat to it, particularly that sort of strangely Oedipal, even though the take-home is that this younger fox is a gay man, essentially. There is the kind of, you know, tension between him and his mother. I guess, really, the kind of the sex and the relationships and the everything else in the film is kind of just... It's a way of showing... Like, he liberates himself, and that's kind of the main take-home, is that he then leaves home. I think one of the reasons why it has a kind of resonance is exactly that, and I think we know that... Well, we all know probably people who are a bit like that, Mm. who maybe need to kind of, like dislocate themselves from the kind of codependent scenario that they're trapped in. Uh, Or maybe they did, but sort of late in life. Shall we uh, hear a bit more about what's going on with this film from the director Kintus Lundgren? Yes. Cool. This is uh, Kintus Lundgren, uh, director of Manivold, along with uh, Drashko Evitsik, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And this is us uh, having a little chat at the Annecy Animation Festival. Enjoy! I never studied animation, I always wanted to become a painter and I was studying in an alternative underground performance art school where (coughs) I actually didn't even know what performance is, but uh, anyway, uh, it was fun. Uh, After that I spent seven years as a painter and then I had a, a creative crisis and during that time I was just playing around with animation because it seemed fun. And then I did some really silly movies that I put it on the internet. And then I realized that people really like, like my animations more than my paintings. And then I started realizing that I also enjoy the process much more than painting. And then in the end also I find the fine art world is really, you know, kind of stiff, like these people with a stick in their ass. And uh, I feel like as an animator I can be more myself. I don't have to pretend to be someone else. So I just like slowly transitioned into animation. So uh, I think a film that a lot of people are going to be familiar with would be uh, Herman H. Raw, which yeah. um, uh, did quite a lot of festivals uh, mm-hmm. the last few years or so. Uh, what were the sort of circumstances behind that film, like getting that made? And- I think most of my films come from characters, and uh, these characters for for Moneyworld and Life with Herman H. Roth, they're a result of some. Uh, Actually, I had to do an exhibition some years ago. Somebody wanted me to do (coughs) an exhibition of drawings, but I didn't have any drawings. So I just gave myself an assignment that, okay, I will do one drawing every day and then maybe I will come up with something. And uh, I was just like freestyling and then I came up with these characters, a rat, uh, some absent drinking rabbits and a fox. And then uh, I made like this kind of simple one picture comics with them and I put them on Facebook and then people liked them. And then I started thinking that, okay, I should probably make some stories with them. And uh, because the rat was like quite popular, everybody was saying like, oh, this rat is just like my boyfriend. <laughs> like he's so grumpy and he drinks beer. So I just, you know, tried to find a story that could come from this character. And then we wrote it together with Trashko. And uh, actually the, the life with Herman H. Roth, it was quite difficult process with the story because uh, I started out with a completely different idea and in the end the only thing that I had is this piece from Tchaikovsky and I knew that 
the rat he's angry but why is he angry and why like why is he breaking things we just had to like figure it out and you two often write together yeah all my films before life with Ermani Chorotta I did always alone I animated alone I did everything alone besides music and I always thought that I will never work with anyone because I don't know I guess it's also this kind of Estonian mentality we don't trust anyone <laughs> but uh, since we are a couple and so I was all the time like presenting him like what I'm doing and he was giving me advice and which was very constructive and then slowly it just happened that more and more we were just like he was giving me more and more advice and in the end we were just like writing together and I think it worked out pretty well because all my films before life with Ermo and Churot, they're very um, well I actually never spent more than one day on the story so they're they're like funny but they're they don't make a lot of sense so they're just you know they're not that deep and uh, Trashko is more like he's he's more questioning things like but why is he doing this or why is why is this or so yeah I think it works well together is that perhaps also partially responsible for the films being kind of thematically about relationships, being in a relationship yourselves? It's it's possible. I mean, possibly because, you know, when you see Money World, we worked with Yelena mm -hmm. from National Film Board, and she was very much involved in the story. So in Money World, you have three characters. So it could be like almost feels like uh, it's it's film about us, you know, <laughs> like uh, in that process. That's a know. good point. And in Heroin, yeah. there are two characters. There are two characters, <laughs> and, and two we writers. were more focused about uh, our differences. Uh, like, I mean, it was not about our relationship, but uh, we were inspired about our differences, you know, different cultural backgrounds, whatever, and uh, how this can lead in some awkward situations. So the um, genesis of the idea, I guess, for uh, Manavald, mm. did that come from anywhere, like in terms of real life observation, or was it just like another kind of thing that came to you and then you built on it? Yeah, it's, it came in a way from the character, because I decided that the next film must be about Manavald, and then, you know, based on how he had been developed in this comic mm. world, so it felt like he's this kind of naive character, so he's... And the mother also already existed in, in the comic world, so I thought there should be something about him and his mother. And then, uh, yeah, it kind of evolved, like, naturally, like, so what could happen? Like, probably, you know, he's old and he's still living at home. And, and then, you know, to make it more funny and to also, like, bring out the conflict, then we also brought in this plumber, Thomas, who comes to fix the washing machine. It's funny, it's like, uh, like if you read the synopsis, like it's almost like a um, synopsis for a porno movie. <laughs> a plumber comes and a love triangle develops. <laughs> Certainly a kind of European art house flavor to it, the mother-son rivalry. Yeah. Usually that's kind of, yeah. Then kind of having that be, what's the film more about? The relationship between the mother and the son or the relationship between either of them and the plumber, or, mm. you know, and so it was, yeah, it was a lot of food for thought I found in the film. Mm. I mean, did you feel like there was a sort of central focus, like making it, like what it was more about relationship-wise? To me, it was about the mother and the son, mm -hmm. and, uh, but, so the wolf is there just to make it more light and more funny, mm -hmm. and also to bring out the, you know, the conflict, but essentially it's about the mother, the mother-son relationship. 
one of the things we, we see quite a lot of films that deal with themes of love and relationships and sex and a lot, oftentimes especially recently filmmakers when they do that in animation the sex element is quite explicit mm. or it's usually very effective what I found quite nice about this film is how the actual sort of sexual encounter is quite sweet mm. and sort of like tender and kind of fantastical yeah I think I mean because Manival is such a you know like shy and sweet mm. character and we really also wanted to show that he really falls in love with this mm. plumber so we had to make it a bit like even overly romantic at first like uh, in some first draft of the film we we had imagined that instead of this love scene that there would be some psychedelic scene where they're just like going crazy and partying and strange things are happening but it just um, didn't make sense it, it was too awkward. Uh, we had this central scene and, and there was some weird games they were playing in the room you know, and we just realized but we are losing focus, important focus here. So so then we, I think we just deleted the whole mm-hmm. uh, chunk of film and uh, decided, okay, let's start from scratch and focus is love. You know? mm-hmm. And I think we managed that. I mean, it's I think everybody recognizes when they see the film that this is about love, you know, that scene, you know, not even about sex, so maybe that's what makes it more sweet than explicit sex, you know. Yeah. yeah. As a sort of general kind of 2D animation geek, I'm always interested in people's actual sort of technical process. Mm-hmm. And for your films, I would assume <coughs> the, the two recent ones would have been done the same way. Mm-hmm. Is it all digital or is it kind of... It's, uh, it's totally not digital. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I draw on paper mm-hmm. with pencils, I shoot it with a digital camera and then yeah, it becomes digital. I do the coloring in computer. Yeah. But it definitely it's felt more like, like analog, I guess. Yeah. Like, I really, like, I find that like, sometimes this difference between the digital line and the line of a pencil can be very subtle nowadays. Like mm-hmm. They can do it very well, but I still feel like there is a little difference and I, it's like I always compare it with pan, like grandmother's pancakes versus pancakes from like a supermarket. Yeah. Like both can be good, but there is like something different about grandmother's pancakes. But there is also Kintis is using very small papers, so she's drawing everything on A5. So uh, it's almost like uh, this small format forces you to think economically, you know. So you don't go very wild with composition. You don't. You just try to keep things simple. And in that way, actually, production also gets more simple. So I think this is also you know, very helpful, that it's very small paper, like, so you have to, within these limitations, you can have to do the whole film. You know. So then the coloring process, mm-hmm. is that then using more digital elements? Yeah, yeah it's, that that's very digital. that also felt very, like, painterly. And it's because of, of the, like, because I use such a small paper, mm-hmm. And uh, when I shoot, I just use one lamp, so this brings out the texture. Uh. And the way I color, the texture still remains there. And because it's, you know, every drawing is on different paper, so this texture is moving. So it feels still very analog, but yeah. And quite a distinct color scheme mm. with both of the films, that kind of very sort of rich, warm, sort of pinks, I guess, peach sort of feel to it. Yeah. Um, I get asked about this lately yeah. a lot. It's just like I'm, you know, becoming from a painting background. It's colors are really important to me, and I'm kind of obsessed with some combinations. And I really like everything that is monochrome. Like I like 
I just love monochrome things and I also get really irritated sometimes when there are too many different colors put together. Mm -hmm. So that's just where it comes from. I try to make you know, all the colors to be very similar and then it becomes this kind of pinkish. <laughs> yeah, there isn't any big conceptual meaning behind it. There's a nice sort of, it's a nice motif. I think mm. it works quite well, especially with the subject matter. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned last week that you were also doing like a music video with the characters or something like that. Yes, uh, like this one song where when Manival goes to the ghetto to look for Thomas and on the background there is this hip hop kind of tune. Oh. We call it wolf hop because it has howling and it has wolves. Mm. So uh, yeah, we're right now we're producing a music video. Uh, it's going to be like homoerotic, like Tom of Finland style uh-huh. wolves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're also uh, considering giving it a little bit of depth uh, from Thomas' point of view. Mm-hmm. Because I think uh, in the film we didn't really have opportunity to meet Thomas that much. I mean, he's that kind of distracting element. Yeah. But uh, I feel that he's also a kind of complex character because he is coming back to his family. Yeah. He's pretending he doesn't know money about. You know, so so I feel like that there is some story there. You know, mm. so maybe we should just uh, see, like in a music video, can we explore this story? Maybe it can be even developed in a new story. You know, so mm. it's like yeah, it will be like a little spin-off. Yeah. And and in any case, uh, you know, we want to develop it into a series, but at the same time, until we find any financing for the series, our other idea is that we continue making this kind of short films that are back stories of all the main characters and at some point there will also be a story about the wolf so this can be like some sort of starting point so do they take place in i guess in the same universe like yes. Manavald and Herman mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and uh, the series that we're planning Herman is also one of the main characters there like oh. he's he's a policeman like a kind of burnt out policeman who's mm. uh, always drunk but we, we imagine that he studied like like what sociology. Yeah, we thought that uh, basically <laughs> this imaginary town, Luxlandia, but uh, I don't know if we're gonna go that way in the future. But the basic idea was that they're all overeducated, you know. So it's like almost like a parody of what's going on today, you know. People are going to all of these universities. They have all this. Uh, diplomas but then end up doing some uh, like let's say physical work because there are no jobs in an in a intellectual world you know As, I don't know how it is in England but in my country people with diplomas from universities they hide them they hide these diplomas because it's easier to get a job if you say I only have high school you know mm. then they can give you to be a waiter whatever you know so so in a way we wanted to build that kind of setup also for other characters of Tom so let's say uh, Herman has diploma but he works as policeman you know so they never worked out for n- none of them all, all of these diplomas so they had to come another way to to survive you know yeah. hmm. so it comes to like developing a series then uh, where you guys are at the moment are you going to work directly with a network or is it like you're going to develop the idea and then pitch it to people? We're, s- we're still looking for a network. It's it's not so easy because it's for adults and um, like in Europe like most networks they don't they just want children's stuff. Yeah, we are talking with few US networks now and we will see you know, maybe some of them will respond positively but this would be ideal scenario that they basically finance the show and give, keep, give us like a 
to do it. But uh, it's not always easy because networks sometimes they want just to buy content and then hire their own in-house directors or script writers. You know. So it's uh, going to be a little bit because we still want to keep control, you know, and and of course uh, property. Yeah. So thank you to Kintis and Drasco and look out for Manival doing the rounds uh, presently still uh, in the uh, midst of a big festival uh, tour you can visit kintislundgren.com to find out more about her work so the next screening for Manavold, I believe will be in Brazil at Anima Mundi which uh, takes place in both Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo and it will be playing in Shorts 11 from the 17th of July at a variety of venues and times also, incidentally, I have some work playing at Anima Mundi, uh, an episode of the Brazilian preschool TV series Lendas Animadas, which I was the lead animator on, called How the Stars Were Born. That'll be playing in children's shorts, too, again, at various times and locations. And so you can visit animamundi.com.br for specific program information there. If you're there, check it out. Plenty of other great films on offer at this year's edition. And on the subject of animation events, I want to give a mention to our friends at the Cardiff Animation Festival, a newly announced festival from the team who brought us Cardiff Animation Nights the last couple of years, as a kind of teaser event for the festival, which will kick off, I believe, in April of next year, on Saturday the 22nd of July at Chapter in Cardiff. They'll be presenting their Late Night Work Club special, which is going to include screenings of both Late Night Work Club films, Ghost Stories and Strangers, as well as a bring-your-own-animation session at 2 in the afternoon, and then a drink-and-draw session at 5, followed by an evening with Late Night Work Club and Friends, in which I will be heading up a chat with some of the contributors, as well as some other noteworthy animation talents. And tickets are available at chapter.org, and it's going to be really fun, I am sure. So please do come on down. I hope to see you there. If you want to learn a bit more about the Late Night Work Club in the interim... You can check out the other podcast series I do, Independent Animation, which goes with my book, also called Independent Animation. The book talks a little bit about Phantom Limb in particular, which is one of the ghost stories. Stories. This more recent podcast goes into the creation of the second anthology, Strangers, with interviews with most of the contributors involved and some wonderful insight as to how that kind of thing comes together. So check that out. And yes, hopefully see you on Saturday, July 22nd at Chapter in Cardiff. That's all for this episode of Intimate Animation. I've been Ben Mitchell. And I've been Laura Beth Cowley. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.